Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your penultimate Davis Cup Finals by Rakuten podcast. I'm Catherine, David's here. Matt, alas, is not. Uh, so all the well wishes that we sent him on last night's pod, uh, rinse and repeat for Matt. Send him your absolute best. He's okay. Uh, he's just feeling rough and uh, not up to being on the podcast. And even if he claimed he was up to it, I wouldn't allow it. I've given him very, very strict instructions to do nothing but nap. Uh, so get well soon, Matt. Don't worry. David and I are here. We've watched it all. We have thoughts. Uh, we have opinions. Uh, we'll be looking back and we'll be looking ahead to the fact that we have an Australia versus Canada Davis Cup finals final to look forward to. And that is because today we saw Canada beat Italy by two rubbers to one. Now, I think, David, that we both predicted a Canada victory on last night's pod. And yet I don't feel like I can claim any glory in that because none of it panned out how I thought it would at all. Maybe Orgelia seen beating Musetti. That is a thing that I thought would happen. Everything else was a surprise <laughs> today. Same, to same here. Uh- Felix has lived up to billing, and then some. Actually, he's he is really standing up and showing what he's made of in this competition. Mm. And it could be. It's quite interesting. You know, there was me talking about whether this might be Mazzetti's moment to show what he's made of. Well, I think Felix might have overheard that somehow, or uh, got the gist that people might have been suspecting something like that. Because this is this feels a bit like him being Djokovic twelve years ago, and and taking the the Davis Cup by the scruff of the neck and making it his, and and we'll see we'll see tomorrow whether he actually does that, but that can often be a launch pad. And uh, but but you're right. To me, coming into this week, the whole story was Canada have the two best singles players overall. Okay, not maybe not individually. You could make an argument for Berrettini, who obviously hasn't had a chance to play singles. There's, there are other players in 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 the group that that could be talked about but to have two players of that that level you just felt as though they wouldn't have to play that much doubles and yet here they are they've already had to play two doubles and it'd be really tense and really stressful and they've done it the hard way um so no i totally agree with you it's 
I can't. It, it it's happened, but I, but it has not happened how I thought it would happen. Mm, let's uh, let's take it stage by stage, um, because Orgelius in beating Musetti was the the second of the three rubbers, and that victory and the manner of it, the straightforwardness of it by Orgelius in was made all the more impressive by the fact that it was must win. He went into that with Canada one love down. And that was because Denis Shapovalov lost 6-4 in the third to Lorenzo Sonigo. This was a fun time, David, this match, wasn't it? I'm so glad it didn't start at 9am UK time, as I briefly announced to the world on last night's podcast, because I'd have missed most of it. Uh, But as it was, I watched all of it and I flipping loved it. It was, I mean, it was... uh, it was quite a lot like Sonigo against Tiafo, wasn't it? It was it was showmanship. Um and it was kind of Shapovalov picking up where he left off from the from the doubles court uh, a couple of days ago, wasn't it? It was casino tennis. It was it kind of felt like how long can each of these men sustain their respective purple patches for? You know, we we, we know that playing this style of tennis is unsustainable for a whole match. So who can who can make it hold for the longest and in the most stressful situations? Yeah. Uh, Shapovalov won the first nine points mm. of the match. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we are going to get the the scene that we kind of thought that we should be getting based on rankings, based on record generally. But Davis Cup often doesn't go like that anyway, historically. And I also think that Sonigo is somebody that in this kind of environment, you really underestimate at your peril. And and if you're an opponent, you you enter his type of match at your peril. Mm. I think Tiafo and Shapovalov thought that this was their type of match and that they were relishing the fact that they could put on a show. But I think Sonigo showed that in the right circumstances with a crowd behind him and because it's close to Italy and Italy have brought a lot of fans over. He he was feeling at home mm. out there, and he was he was more more up for that than than or at least more able to handle that than they were. He was he was just the better player. Yeah. And I know it was three hours and fifteen minutes today, but he could he could have won that in straight sets too. And uh, and he, he's a fantastic ball striker. I mean, the first few games, I think Colin Fleming said that. The big Sonigo forehand was being out hit by Shapovalov by some 15 kilometers an hour. And that was, and then there was another injection coming from Sonigo with that forehand because it's, it's almost like his eyes light up at the idea of, oh, you want to, you want to go toe to toe then? Let's do it. And, uh, he, he finished a lot of those rallies. And, and I think he, he, he buried a lot of his demons from this year because another stat that Colin gave was that of all the top 50 players, he has the worst final set record this year, 4-1, 15 lost. And there he was, 5-2 um, up in the second set tie break and a set up, and he doesn't win that set. So to come back and win the third... I didn't think he was coming back that, from that. Blumenick, impressive that is. Minor deviation here. I do feel like I should apologise for the background noise, which is just Billie Jean having a having a good old time with a squirrel toy. Uh, she's just she's just high on life, folks. There's no stopping her. Uh, so apologies for that. Um, I feel like 
we are all, uh, you, me, the tennis world and his opponents this week are totally guilty of underestimating Lorenzo Sonigo. And maybe with good reason, because I'm looking at him thinking, why am I hearing and seeing more of you on the tour week in, week out? You are too good to not be more relevant than you are. I shouldn't be looking at you and always thinking about that run to the Rome semi-finals last year. You should have done something else of of equal relevance since then. You're too good not to have. Well, I mean, obviously the, the road has ended here for Italy, but I still think this could be a catalyst for for him. Time will tell. We'll see. But, you know, I, I underestimate him, underestimated him going into the match. I think probably my feeling before this tie was that Canada wouldn't need to go to the doubles. I underestimated him during the match. I did not think he was coming back, David, from losing that second set. I really didn't. No, no, I, I didn't either. And yet... At the same time, when they were deep in the third set, whilst on paper, no, he shouldn't have come back because of all the reasons that we've discussed, he felt he feels more reliable mm. in in that situation. It, There's something now, about now. Then, David, that, that is is that a, a state is that statement about Lorenzo Sonigo, or is that statement mostly about? Then a Shapovalov, who I'd say more about Shapovalov. Really, we're big uh, fans it, of, aren't we? A, but you don't want him playing for your life, do you? Well, look who he's lost mm. to this week. Jan Leonard Struff and Lorenzo Sonigo. Shouldn't be happening. Mm. And, and 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 look, I feel uh, some people may feel like that's I'm being harsh on him and I'm sure his teammates and captain would would defend him to the hilt. They were saying he left everything out there for three and a quarter hours. I, I don't doubt that he did that. He tried his heart out, but he should have been winning. He should have won. He should have won the other day as well. And he doesn't win enough of those. And uh, it's like, where? It's, once again, it's where where's the reliable pattern of point winning for you? And there's not enough of it. If he just had a little bit of what Oje Aliasim has in that respect, Oje Aliasim is now, it, it may not set the world on fire in terms of how exciting it is, but just in terms of, running around a, for, mm. a backhand to hit a forehand and to put it on the money in either corner and just wear you down. He is just becoming a master at that when he's on indoors. And Shapovalov needs to have it's some of that. It's actually a really interesting contrast, isn't it? It's amazing to think that those two, I, I don't think they're not friends anymore, but they're certainly not as close as they were, they were from what I gather. They used to be... Two peas in a pod, didn't they? When Denis Shapovalov first made his breakthrough, he was always saying, "Yeah, wait till you see my best mate, who's a year younger than me, come through. He's so much better than I am." But they're on the court; they're so different, aren't they? You know, if you if they could meet in the middle somewhere, if, if Felix could have just an ounce of the looseness and razzmatazz of Denis Shapovalov, I think that would do him good. And if Denis Shapovalov could have a little bit of the the methodical cerebral, um, well, methodical cerebral tennis that uh, meat meat Composure. and potatoes tennis. You know, a bit of the. Um, I know that's so unsexy and so unglamorous, um, but you know the some of tennis does need to be paint by numbers. It's it's. It's effective. It's those patterns of play, David, you're talking about. I know these are really unsexy turns of phrase, but 
I think they would go an awful long way for someone like Denis Shapovalov. As much as I like to see him win points with feet off the ground into out single-handed backhands, lovely. If only it were possible to win every point like that, but not even the greatest player in the world can win every point playing tennis like that. It's not possible. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if his I don't know if his mind will allow him uh, to go down that avenue, David. No, I mean uh, we'll find out in the years to come. Um, there was a moment I think where you said. Dennis Shapovalov's still going to be playing casino tennis when he's 35, mm. isn't he? And, and I thought, yeah, I mean, he may well do. And the um, thing is, he's already having a a very lucrative and successful career in terms of a lot of eyeballs on him. He gets show court matches. He has some runs. He's got plenty of money. Um He's a hero back home in the eyes of some. I don't know about everybody. I don't know what the general view of him is. I, I do get quite a lot of – we do get quite a lot of emails sometimes saying that they wish we would go a bit easier, particularly on Felix Ojeal Yassim. A lot of our Canadian listeners or um, f- talk about the pride they have in 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 them both and and because they haven't had that many players like this before. Um, and they're very young and all that sort of thing. It's just that, well, I think what it is is that we we hope that they are going to amount to more than they already are. And and in Shapovalov's case, I don't see an urgency to to do anything different to what he's already doing. And I, and I think what he's doing currently is not going to get him much further in the game. And look, if he's if he's happy with that, then fine. He only has to look himself in the mirror. He doesn't owe us anything, but. We are judging him by his talent and his ability, and we're—that's what we want from him. He—he he may have different expectations of himself, and that is—that is okay. If you know, if in twenty years' time he's retired and he looks back and goes, I "Had a really nice time on tour, had a good ranking, given myself a really nice life, whatever that might look like." Absolutely fine. He owes us nothing, but. We are not him. We're not in his head. We have, you know, we judge tennis and its players by slightly different parameters, don't we? So that's that's where we're at with him. And I love to see into out, feet off the ground, backhand winners. So I would really love to see more of those. Uh, so, yeah, we might see more of them in the Davis Cup, David, because we're going to be seeing Canada again. And when they were one rubber down... Courtesy of Lorenzo Sonigo's victory, 6-4 in the third. Um, I, I still very much backed Felix Auger-Elia seemed to come out and beat Lorenzo Massetti uh, for all the reasons we discussed on last night's pod. But it it really did put the pressure on Felix Auger-Elia seemed it, it magnified his position as the breadwinner of that Canadian team, mm. didn't it? We are relying like on you. We're assuming that you're a W in that column. Yeah. And he, he was good mm. to that because he didn't flicker for a mm. second. I thought Massetti played well from the baseline. He could not handle the guy's serve. He couldn't get it back uh, enough times. He couldn't get close to breaking it. And he had a couple of letdowns on his own serve and Auger-Aliassime was just on him. And again, those patterns of play, particularly with the forehand, they're running around it. And 
not qu- you know you're not always sure which direction he's going to go because he just gets his feet in the right position and he can go either side reliably mm. hard his footwork is the most incredible thing his ability to just use that athleticism and balance to get in the right position pretty much no matter where you put the ball when he's when he's on his game you can slice and dice him and he will still get around it and uh, and sort you out if he's on form and the serve has just become such a reliable weapon so if that can transition successfully i think australia could be really interesting with him because um he looks in a really good place and uh a lot of people answered uh, various tweets about him that we put out with the with the the question mark around fangs you know is this the moment he shows he's got this killer instinct and he's clinical and he will just go out and beat people well i think recent history would say that he's made major strides in that in that regard he still needs to go out and do it at, at the australian open and at the french open at wimbledon and the us open because he hasn't done enough of that but that's for next year. Mm. He can only handle at the moment what he's got in front of him. And and I think he's making strides here. Yeah, I agree. I still don't think they, these are necessarily strides that tell me, give me an awful lot more data than we've already had from the last few weeks in terms of Grand Slam success. Because, you know, there are the big caveats there, best of five sets, outdoors. You know, these strides that he's making now are over best of three sets indoors. Um, And that will be a caveat until I see him in Grand Slams next year. But as you say, he can only do what he's got in front of him and he's doing it. Um, Musetti, David, you're less cynical about him than I am. How do you... I've got some explaining (laughs) to do, haven't I? (laughs) How do you feel about him after the... After the match today? Three and four it was for Jalia Seam. And I do think that was largely down to... Felix, but I also have question marks about Musetti. Well, I mean, indoors, he's the opposite. Mm. He doesn't look at home at all indoors, really, where he's rushed and he's he knows what he's supposed to do and he's trying to step forward and meet fire with fire the way you meant to, but he just at the moment doesn't have the the stroke production, I don't think, that really goes with that. And uh, so, I mean, my my feeling is that I'm probably going to make some fairly forthright predictions about what he's going to do on clay next year. I, I, I just think he's so well suited to the surface, and we've seen that before because those are what his, his breakthrough results came on. I just think he's going to make some major moves on that because he's got everything, really, for clay. Um, and I think he could do well on some of the slower outdoor hard courts surfaces where it bounces high and all that sort of thing. But um, God, he looked rushed mm. in this. He never, he Those never seemed swings. to be able to. He couldn't really impact Ojalia Seam. He couldn't throw him off, or you, you need to be able to retaliate. And he, he wasn't able to retaliate often enough. And the main problem was he just couldn't get near the serve because. You know, I, I often I'm not a great fan of 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 some of the the graphics that are put up in tennis matches showing all sorts of things about serves and all this. But when they show the groupings of the serve of Ojaliasim and where it goes, it was incredibly precise. Um, and and he 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 just has you know they they say 
oh, he hits his spots. That's one of those sayings, isn't it, that commentators use or coaches use. My goodness, this guy hits his spots. He aims for a certain point. Mm. And he, even if he misses it, he misses it by a couple of Such inches. Such an improved it's, shot, it's... that serve. I, I, again, I'm really interested to see whether he can maintain that outdoors. Um, I, I don't know, you know, how much the the toss will be thrown off by by outdoor conditions, all of that kind of thing. Very, very interesting one. Um, but look, he dealt with what was in front of him today brilliantly. Uh, so Felix Auger-Lissim levels things up. One rubber apiece. So I'm thinking Shapovalov, Pospisil against Bolelli Fanini. Didn't really occur to me, David, that it wouldn't be that lineup. How were you feeling? Well, at the end of the second singles, I did think Ojaliasim is coming in here because for a few reasons. One, he he cleaned up Massetti in an hour and a quarter. It hadn't been very taxing, uh, or an hour and a half, and. Shapovalov had put three and a quarter hours in and already had his back manipulated during his match against Sonigo. So, but, but those two things were both the case two days ago when Canada faced yeah. Germany. They were, um, apart from the back thing, um, which which did slightly make me concerned on his behalf, particularly as he went off after that manipulation. That's when the wheels started to come off. Um, and then, and then what happened was he he did an interview, and Colin Fleming Nyon had to chase him to to get him to answer a question before he disappeared. And he and he says, "I'm only going to ask you one question," because he was clear that Ajelisin wanted to get out of there. And he said, "Are you going to play the doubles?" And uh, and he said, "Dennis has had a three hour match. I've I, I've had a short match. Um, Captain will make the decision, but I'm ready to play." Is what he said, and and it just felt instantly like this is going to happen, and uh, so off he goes. Do, do you but... think he would have known that going into his singles? There's a good chance that you're going to be playing doubles today, Felix. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't. I I think at the start of the day they would have probably been expecting to play Shapovalov. Yeah, but but but, but then the but fact then... that Felix is giving that answer. Presumably, without at that stage having had the discussion with Frank Dancevich, implies that that scenario had been played out or discussed earlier mm. on in the day. I, I don't know. So, certainly, around that three-hour match, I think that the, look, as they were saying, they've said all along, we're really lucky we have two players who can play doubles with Pospisil, um, and I think he probably must have got told that. Look, Dennis might not make this. You know, he's he's struggling a bit, and um, I think definitely once I think Felix just he, he was bursting out of the seams to play. He, he <laughs> you could just tell I love that. he was saying, "Look, I I had the sort of singles match." He said in his post match press conference, "I had the sort of singles match that you that you really want. Everything went according to plan. It was quick. It was efficient." Uh, straightforward, so I was ready to play doubles, you know. And and he and I also get the feeling that he just wants this responsibility, a bit like Dimonor last night. There's there's a moment with these guys. I think we've seen it from Fritz as well. That that's when you feel like they've elevated mm. themselves. Shapovalov has he he did very well to win that point for them the other day, but I've never got the feeling that he's reached the level that those three have reached. 
even Dimonor, who I don't, I don't know who's had the higher ranking out of Shapovalov and Dimonor, but there's the way they just seem they seem up for putting the country on their back and just saying, "Come with me, I'll 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 take care of this." I feel like that's something that's always in our year-long predictions. Who will finish higher in the year-end rankings? Alex Dimonor or Denis Shapovalov? And I groan every time. <laughs> Uh, we'll come back to that. So um, I think I raised, raised one eyebrow at uh, Felix Auger Aliassime's name on the doubles team sheet. Definitely more than one eyebrow, David, at Matteo Berrettini on the Italian team sheet in place of Simone Bellelli. Now, we know with hindsight now that that was due to injury of Simone Bellelli and that it was foreshadowed a little bit. They were prepared for this scenario. Berrettini had been hitting a little bit in practice, didn't felt a way off playing singles, but was sort of vaguely primed to come in in the doubles. And and I know it's something that you brought up as a possibility yesterday on the pod, but I really dismissed that in my mind. I thought that was pie in the sky. The possibility of so that, really. I mean, playing, I really was surprised to see his name. Yeah, and the, the the interesting thing is that when I initially heard it, I mean, first of all, I saw Colin tweet, "It looks like it's going to be this." And I didn't even read the name of Berrettini because I was I was so focused on the confirmation in his lineup that Felix was playing, and it. I didn't. I didn't even bother to read the second two names because I thought it was Bellelli and Fanini, um, and I thought once once it was Berrettini, I thought that this was just a a mind games move by Filippo Valandri mm. that they were going to say, "Okay, I'll see your Felix mm. Ocialiasim and I'll raise you, Matteo Berrettini." I the same, David, as, and I as some massive statement. Yeah, I did uh, clench teeth emoji. Uh, mentally at it mm. um but you know it, as it turns out i mean i think i think it's actually it's really really impressive from berrettini that, that he stepped up and and he felt okay to play and he had a right good go but you could see the difference in sharpness mm. between even even if he wasn't injured anymore it's the difference in sharpness between himself and all the other three players on the court he he tried hard but and i do think in Increasingly, having watched quite a lot of doubles this week and Davis Cup on the TV and watched a lot um, up close in real life last week in Turin, I've had a lot of doubles exposure in the last couple of weeks. Sharpness is everything in doubles. I mean, mm. of course, you know, you've got the it's the quick reactions, isn't it? I remember, um, can't remember who it was on Prime Video, but one of the pundits telling me about the drills that the Bryan brothers used to do, which sounded death-defying to me. You basically just stand right on the net while someone is trying to body shot you constant, constantly. Um, you know, it's all about those sharp, fast-twitch reactions, isn't it? I think sharpness is everything, and that's what I noticed didn't seem to be there with Nasi Kokonakis last week, for example, and certainly yeah. wasn't there with Nick Kyrgios in, in the opening match, and it sort of came as the week went on and as the adrenaline built up, but it wasn't just there on demand. 
Um, and I don't think it was there with Jack Sock the other day because he hasn't been playing match doubles, hasn't played it since the Labour Cup a few weeks ago. And how could it possibly have been there for for Matteo Berrettini today? I mean, it mm. of course, mm. logically, it wouldn't he be. He did well, really, to, to even... I mean, they they made it close. Mm. It was seven six seven five, um, but they they always felt like they were hanging on. Uh, that you, you, I felt that you were waiting for Fanini maybe to conjure something, and he did a couple of times, and they got themselves a break up, but they couldn't hold on to it. There was a moment where they let one go over their shoulders, just not quite communicating right, and it looped in. And um, so, credit to him. I think the fact that he came on this journey and and was in the crowd and was so there's there's a wonderful screenshot I got of of Sonigo's victory and Berrettini's in the oh, m- melee afterwards David. and it was uh, magical really Matteo Berrettini is only 26 years old and I feel like I've seen more images of him experiencing intense misery than any of us should ever have seen it's it I mean I know Italians wear emotion well don't they they experience it very viscerally and uh, very palpably and those images of Berrettini and Fanini and the press conference oh, it's a lot isn't it and they reminded me of that press conference Berrettini did last year in Turin when he had to to pull out of his home tournament pulling the baseball cap down over his eyes just it's a lot of Italian emotion, isn't it? Um, and I love to see that level of caring. Um, and that if it's not too sadistic to say that level of heartbreak, I'm sort of pleased that they are experiencing that intense and emotion about it. But it was tough to see. I mean, Matteo Berrettini deserves a break in 2023. Yeah, he does. He does. And, and I think the good news is he's, He's still got plenty left to to offer. You know, he's not old. He's 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 tough and strong and motivated. And I th- I don't I don't think he's necessarily going to get that much better. But I but I think he's all, already really really good. Yeah, yeah, he can get luckier. Yeah. You're right. He does need something to fall his way. But I mean, just those emotions. We can do a proper sort of review of of the week and of Davis Cup generally and what we think about it and the format and everything. We can do that tomorrow. But I do feel looking at those and feeling those emotions that all these guys were going through, and we've had it on a daily basis, Some something's right mm. about this thing. And uh, and and I, I've loved the, 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 the week as a result of that. Every day I've, I've felt uplifted and uh, like I've experienced something cool. Yeah, I, I absolutely feel the same. And... Um... The quotes from Fanini afterwards, you know, saying, I'm 36. I don't know if this op- opportunity will come again. That was pretty tough to hear, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, Davis Cup, it is about winning it, isn't it? Nobody's putting Davis Cup semi-finalist on their CV. It's kind of win or nothing. With and, the, and every, with any losing team, no matter if it's even reaching the final or losing, you get those desolate mm. scenes, and they, they don't have that moment where they're doing the runner-up speech and everybody's mm. lo- being nice to them. They don't get that in the mm. same way. They're just gutted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Italians being gutted is a real, 
It's a really intense mood. Uh, but it was balanced out, David, by Canadians being thoroughly delighted. Um, mm, yeah, it was. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. There's a couple of talking points with Canada, aren't there? Um, There's the looking ahead to the final and how big an advantage it is for Australia that they've had the extra day's rest going into tomorrow's final. I think it could actually be quite big. What do you think? I think it it feels to me like it equals it out a bit more because on paper, again, Canada should be winning this thing because they have such a superior uh, singles player in the number two position on paper. Shapovalov should be beating Kokonakis. He should be beating Thompson. Who are they going to pick? Who are Australia going to go with? Because Kokonakis was unconvincing the other day uh, against Chorich. And Thompson has been a revelation. It's just that he is, on paper, limited by comparison. I think that they they should be going for Thompson personally. Mm. I think that they should just just put him in there and get him to challenge Shapovalov. Get him to get him to come up with the goods time yeah. after time after time. Yeah, keep him honest and and with. With the fatigue and with the fact that you know, they were very honest that Shapovalov was feeling it out there. You know, he's a fit lad, but he also has been on his holiday already. Do you think there's any and risk I, and that Shapovalov won't be fit to play? Might be, but what's your what's your other option? I mean, you're, you're then looking at Vasek mm. Pospisil, I think, as your next player who who can play singles, but is is not on that level of those two. They, they, I don't think they've been banking on needing to do that and uh so i think unless shapovalov's properly injured he'll be playing and they'll 
again, you're asking him to come up with the goods for long enough. And we know he's capable. I mean, and he should be going in as favourite against either one of them. But I'd, I think I'd be going Thompson. I do. And um, just getting him to to make players and make as many balls as he possibly can. Who did he beat on the first day? I can't remember who it was. Was it the guy from um, the Netherlands? I think it was, wasn't the it? The guy from the um, Netherlands. Um, it was uh, Talon Greekspoor, David. That was him, yeah. Who... who Kind of plays who is, a little who is bit a guy like from the Nether- Netherlands. Yep. Yes, he, he's got the he had yes. the bigger game. Yeah, you're and right. Thompson just absorbed it all and just mm, hung around. I I think Tom, Jordan Thompson could be a real pest to a tired and potentially slightly physically compromised Denis Shapovalov. I mean, obviously, on a good day on a hot streak, Denis Shapovalov has way more in his arsenal than Jordan Thompson, but it's not as simple as that. So, look, fatigue definitely could play a part here in the favour of Canada, uh, in the favour of Australia. And then you get the two the two Mr Davis Cups up against one another. What's going to give? Auger-Aliassime against De Menor. Well, again, it, it should be Auger-Aliassime in terms mm. of games. He is the more accomplished player. He's got the bigger game. Um, and if he's serving well, it's going to be very hard for Dimonor to to get many looks, as they say, at, at breaking the serve. But I just don't think I I, I don't think you can count out Dimonor as just on paper this should happen. He he makes me feel that he's a he, there's more to mm. him in Davis Cup than there is on the tour. He's a he's a more dangerous player on in this competition. And I'm not even going to ask you to preview a potential doubles match because who on earth knows he'll be playing in it they'll probably get Daniel Nestor out of retirement or something I don't know <laughs> there'll be some sort of wild card that will throw us up I, off I, all I can say is I I I hope it goes down to the Me doubles too. we've had four in a row yeah. and it, it is such a great way to conclude a, a yeah. tie. It, and, a and it, it sets Davis Cup apart, doesn't it? And Billie Jean King Cup as well. The way it elevates the doubles. And okay, it can mm. also minimise the doubles in that you might end up just not playing it all together. But when it is played, everything's on it. It is maximised and highlighted and elevated. And that's great. One other talking point with Canada, David... And maybe this seems a little indelicate um, given, you know, we should be celebrating the fact that they've reached the final and we do and we have. But there is the very big question of whether they should even have been playing in these Davis Cup finals at all. And there is a pretty strong argument that they should not have been. Uh, They were a wild card entry essentially replacing Russia after Russia was banned from the competition, which is something I absolutely think is the right thing. But Canada had been eliminated fair and square at the qualifying stage and then were essentially reinstated into the tournament because a vacancy became available and they were selected subjectively by the board. 
I believe. Yeah. I mean, I think they might have used the rankings in the okay. end to, to, to decide it, but you're subjectively deciding, I think, how you're going to decide it. Um, and look, I think it's brought into sharper focus because that tie, that qualifying tie, first round tie in March of this year, played in the Netherlands, they lost eight sets to zero. And they didn't have Denis Shapovalov on the team. They didn't have Felix Sogielisim on the team. Their team was Alexis Galano, uh, Stephen Diaz, Peter Polanski, and Braden Schnur. That was their team, and they did not win one set in eight. And then the final rubber, the fifth rubber, they didn't play because it was no longer needed. Um, and I think, look, there's there's some people out there like Marty Fish as the US captain who was very vocal at the time and said, why are, why are they in this? Why have they got the chance to win this thing now? And now they are in the final. I mean, nobody's mentioned it this week, um, but it it does warrant mentioning as a, as a bit of an asterisk, I think. I think there will be. The, the, the size of that asterisk uh, will be a matter of perception and judgment but that asterisk is is there for sure it feels deeply unsatisfactory just as it did with GB at Billie Jean King Cup the the situation there was that they were eliminated uh, at their qualifier in April I think it was and at that stage the venue for the finals hadn't been selected uh, the venue was then subsequently chosen as Glasgow and GB were reinstated, given a wild card as the hosts. Now, obviously, that tournament was very much elevated for having the host team present. I don't think, I mean, we've lost enough home and away. It definitely shouldn't, we shouldn't be having a situation where a country is hosting that isn't represented in the finals. However, it did not feel right that a country that had been eliminated fair and square by competition um, were playing, thereby rendering that qualification tie completely irrelevant. You know, it does, it feels very unsatisfactory and um, just leaves a slightly sour taste. I don't know, you know, the, these finals were elevated for having Canada there, those finals were elevated for having GB there, but it's a slippery slope, isn't it? You know, the integrity of the competition should come first. I think, I mean, I, I really, I understand in this situation, the, the situation with Russia was is so extreme that that I don't know how you can necessarily plan for, mm. for those things. And they, they also have the financial elements and the, who can stage these events, who can actually do it. Um, not everybody can, and that's one of the things that they're running into. Um, I'm hopeful that the success of them will come to the fore in the end and make it a lot more easy to be equitable in terms of how you stage the events and all that sort of thing. But I don't think wildcards should should exist no. in this tournament. I really don't think there should be Davis Cup wildcards. I just don't think there should be. Yeah. I agree. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've got you know, I've got another idea for for the Davis Cup, which I'll tell you about oh, tomorrow. Okay. Um, which I want to float float by you on the show, but you know, I'm still I'm still encouraged because I've I've enjoyed it 
way more than I expected to all week Same. long. It's been a good week. It has. Um, and I can't really call it tomorrow. Paper says Canada, but got a little feeling for Australia. I don't know. I'll go Canada just because of of the strength of their singles players. But I have, I definitely have a feeling in the pit of my stomach that that Australia could cause the upset mm. here. They're going to love being yeah. the underdogs, aren't they? Yeah. Well, Leighton Hewitt said it, didn't he? Um, right. That's for tomorrow. One more day of the Davis Cup finals. I'm looking forward to it, David. Tell me it doesn't start at nine a.m. Uh, it doesn't start at nine a.m. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think same time. I think it's a it's another uh, one, 1 o'clock p.m. local local time. Twelve start. p.m. UK. Twelve o'clock. Um, uh, so probably UK, quite early so. in the US, but you know, Can- Canadians will all be up. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> We've, I mean, definitely seen a lot of enjoyment of this result in Canada, yeah, and, and good I mean. To look, see. We've made we've made the case for why it's awkward, but I'm also chuffed for people who are into tennis mm. in Canada that are really enthused by this. It's great. Our mascot today, David, not in Canada, in uh, in Massachusetts, in the states, East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, uh, which sounds like the sort of place that um, you know a children's book character might be from. You know, like a Mr. Men. Yes. Uh, lovely. <laughs> uh, now, it's actually two mascots, uh, and they are brought to us by Mark and Holly Rush. And one is Indy, a 12-year-old Shih Tzu poodle mix. Uh, they got Indy from a local shelter as a puppy. He was named by our kids after Indy Jones, who I assume is Indiana Jones. Uh, Correct. don't know if Mark and Holly... Uh, know Indiana Jones well on a sort of familiar basis. But anyway, Indy Jones. Uh, His main interests are archaeology, snacks and walks, but mostly snacks. Uh, And Indy's co-mascot is Cooper, a two-year-old cavapoo. I got one of them. Uh, They say due to COVID restrictions, he was delivered to us in something called the Puppy Express. Uh, Just like, isn't it? Billy Jean was... Delivered to me and my brother in a in a black cab. Bonkers. <laughs> um, Puppy Express, an air-conditioned delivery van in the middle of the night. He loves people, playing with his brother, cuddling and taking up more than his fair share of our king-size bed. Cooper, that is very familiar. I'm looking at a picture of Cooper. He's got that cavapoo look. Indy is also absolutely gorgeous. I love the idea of them being... Best friends. Oh, they've got matching bandanas, David. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like it. They're really, yeah, they're okay. really cute. So thank you, Indy and Cooper, and thank you, Mark and Holly, for bringing Indy and Cooper from East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, into our lives. Uh, we have our mascots. Dave's got Darwin. I've got Carter. And Matt has the dearly departed Gerald. Billy Jean, who's on my shoulder is sponsored down, by <laughs> Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and all-around top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And David, we have shout-outs. Yes, we do. Um, it's still not the same doing these without Matt, but we're going to do our very best. And we're going to start with a name that is familiar on this podcast because it is another member of the Rush family. Our Ian. Uh, mascot providers. Today we've got 
No, not Ian Rush, the Liverpool striker of the 80s who went to Juventus for an ill-fated £3.2 million deal. No, Uh, this one is Ben Rush, who is the son of uh, Mark and... Oh, Holly. Mark and Holly. Sorry, Holly, Uh, indeed. And uh, yes, Ben is a senior at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts, studying cybersecurity. And Ben says he is the captain of our nationally ranked squash team. I've also played and taught tennis my whole life. I had the chance to attend the Labour Cup when it was in Boston and regularly spend a day at the US Open. He says, if Matt or David are looking for a challenge on the court, let me know. Love that. I am not taking on an expert in cybersecurity. That will be music to my dad's ears because he is and always has been a very keen squash player. Um, and he's very concerned and worried about the future uh, of squash. Squash courts are sort of disappearing the world over. Um, so it's good to hear it's thriving in Massachusetts. So Absolutely. thank you, Ben. Big day for the rushes on the podcast. Yeah. We inadvertently a, gave Ian yeah. Rush a shout out. Um, <laughs> don't know if he's a listener. Do we know any Ben... Any Ben's? Uh, yes, I do, the, that the um, that new Ben Shel, Shel, Shelton. Shelton. Yeah, that's mm. right. Who's tearing mm. things up, getting all sorts of results. Yep. The, over he was in America. the the top so, college player, wasn't he, last year? That's right. Uh, we've also got Matt Polin, who is from Fort Lauderdale in Florida. Been there, and Matt Matt says. Uh, found your podcast seven years ago while on a holiday road trip and we were looking for some entertainment for the drive. I've been a huge fan ever since. Lovely stuff, Matt. Been to Fort Lauderdale, lovely spot. Uh, you got a great name. Yes. We say it differently, don't we, depending on where we're from. Fort Lauderdale or Fort, Fort Lauderdale, as they say it. I think it's just an accent, David. Yes, that's right. what I mean. <laughs> okay, well, they say everything differently. You and I say, we say quite a lot of things mm. differently, don't we? Brummies and uh, Southerners. Next shout-out, uh, anyway, David. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Uh, Chris Wiley is our next shout-out from Cambridge. And uh, Chris says... Like Jordan Wiley. Yes, like Jordan Wiley. I think a different spelling, okay. um, but uh, but pronounced the same. Uh, and Chris Lewis, who we covered in Tennis Relived back yes. about two and a half years ago. The uh, the player, from, was he from New yes, Zealand, who got yes, to the Wimbledon final and he played John McEnroe in, back in the day? Anyway. Um, and anyway, Chris says he is a super fan of Andy Murray. Oh, good on you, Chris. Lovely yeah. stuff. Good, good person to be a super fan of. Thank you, Chris. Uh, we also have Stephanie Usplund from... Washington, D.C. in the United States. And Stephanie says, my friend Priyanka of Phoebe the Corgi fame told me about this pod in 2020. And I've been listening and loving it for the past few years. It inspired me to pick up playing again. Oh, I can't believe we've actually inspired people to pick up playing tennis again. That's lovely. And I've worn a tennis podcast T-shirt to matches where several people have asked me if I have a tennis podcast. I hope you get some new listeners after those matches. Love that. I'm going to go Stephanie Graf, David. Absolutely. Because she used to be called Steffi Graf and she now likes to go by the name Mm. of Stephanie. So there we go. So... 
good comparison. Okay. Uh, and finally, we have Angela Link from St. Louis in Missouri in the United Meet States. Meet me in St. Louis. And indeed. <laughs> and it, who do we have? We St. have uh, no, St. Louis. It is St. Angela Louis, Mortimer was a Wimbledon yes. champion who beat Christine Janes, um, who used to be Christine Truman, in that Wimbledon final yes. of the 60s. And Christine was telling us not so long ago about how she had a slip in that match and while she was set in a breakup. Oh, and she still thinks about it all the time, every 60 years on. Anyway, Angela Mortimer won the uh, won the title and Angela is our... Uh, not that one. <laughs> this Angela is uh, our shout-out today. And Angela says, Dwight Davis, the Davis Cup founder, and Ken Flack... Uh, a former player, were both from St. Louis, and Arthur Ashe attended high school Aww. here. Jimmy Connors grew up just across the Mississippi River in Illinois, says Angela. So there that we are. We a... have a little little potted history. Love that. I do love the background info that our, so our people supply to us. So thank you very much for taking the time to do that. Thanks to everybody uh, that has become a friend of the tennis podcast at shout out level intro level mascot level all of it uh all of those slots will be coming up for grabs again in a few weeks time you can become a friend of the tennis podcast at any time you like the link is in our show notes but if you want to grab a mascot intro shout out all the rest of it there are there are other rewards up for grabs as well or will be up for grabs uh, from mid-December onwards. So uh, link is in our show notes, but if you just want to gain access to all of our lovely extra bonus content, uh, then go to, go now. Why waste any time? Same applies to the newsletter. Um, David doesn't like it when I promote the newsletter because I get a bit arsy about it, but just, there's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be subscribing to the newsletter. It is free, excellent content. <laughs> <laughs> make Matt's day, folks. He's having a bad week. Make his day and su subscribe to the newsletter, all right? Thanks. Read his, read stat. his stat. Tell your friends. Uh, and most importantly, join us tomorrow for one final Davis Cup podcast of 2022. Almost said 23 then. Oh, dear. We'll speak to you then. <laughs> 